Hello, you're listening to Dr. Baz of Grace Life Church in Naples, Florida. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word. And may God's Spirit speak a personal word to you through it. Fathers, we uh, march forward into life. Many decisions lie ahead of us. Decisions that your providence has squeezed us into making. I pray that we would uh, make better decisions as we hear what your word has to say about that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in Genesis 13, and the title of the message is It Makes a Difference Where You Pitch Your Tent. Now, when I was a kid, um, my dad said to me and my older brother that if we didn't uh, ride a motorbike, smoke or drink until we were 21, that he would buy us a car. Well, in 1974, when I was 16 years of age, uh, a male friend of mine, uh, who I still keep in touch with, uh, and I decided that we would travel around Europe for three weeks. Well, on one occasion, we found ourselves going to the east coast of Spain and to a little tiny port, a little inlet called Port Legat. And I wanted to go there because I wanted to see the house of the Spanish uh, surrealist artist Salvador Dali. Well, as it came to nightfall, a decision had to be made. We were either going to pitch our tent on the rather rough gravel of the beach that was right next to Salvador Dali's house, or we were going to go to the other side of the bay and pitch it on the green, soft grass right next to the liquor store. <laughs> <laughs> we decided to pitch our tent on the soft grass uh, by the liquor store. Well, it, it, it wasn't long after pitching our tent near the liquor store that we wound up in the liquor store, and it wasn't much time that had elapsed after that before much of the liquor store wound up in us. Now, of course, I ended up back in, in at home, in, which is actually the time in Scotland, and I had to share that with my dad, and he sort of laughed, but he he did say, you just lost the car. <laughs> but the point is, is that I learned that day that it makes a difference where you pitch your tent. And in Genesis 13, we actually see this truth set forth. Abraham and Lot have left their homes as God has told them to do so. And they're traveling about and they're following God and they and their family, as far as we know, are the only people following the one true God in the whole world. In fact, Abraham and Lot and their families represent God's entire cause in the world at that time. Now, in order to be a blessing to the world that God had commissioned them to be in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, it became necessary for Abraham and Lot to part company. The important thing to know is that only one of them, Abraham, became a blessing to the world, whereas the other one, Lot, his name was Lot, became a curse, even to his own family. And the Bible teaches us in Genesis 13 is that what made the difference 
was where they chose to pitch their tent. Now, the text tells us that God will take us to places where, where difficulties demand that we pitch our tent somewhere. Uh, these could be money difficulties. Look at verse 5. Now, Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, and his name's Abraham there because he hadn't yet been changed to Abraham, uh, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land couldn't support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. Um, by the way, this is the first place in Scripture where the Bible talks about the potential difficulties of wealth. Now, does that mean that wealth is a sin? Certainly not. In fact, in Genesis 15, God promised Abraham that he would make him wealthy. He also promised Solomon that he would make him wealthy. So wealth is not a sin. The Bible says it's covetousness of other people's wealth that is the sin. Somebody said God doesn't care what your wealth is. He cares where your wealth is. So difficulties, a loss of resources suddenly happens in our life and demands that we have to make a decision on where we're going to pitch our tent. Notice it says the land could not support them. So God brings them to a place where this decision has to be made. You want to know how I moved to Naples or why I moved to Naples? If you want, to want the answer simply put, it's because all of my resources dried up in Kansas City. In 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, during a national drought, Elijah finds himself surviving very happily by a river by the name of Kerith, because God had sent him there. And sitting there, he not only had all the water he could possibly drink in this time of this drought, but God also miraculously fed him every day. He was delighted to be in this place where he, his life was not threatened, unlike everybody else in the, in the country. Well, the time came for God to move him, and apparently he didn't want to move from this place of safety. So guess how God moved him? He dried up the brook. Does God do that sort of thing to people that he cares? Deuteronomy eleven seventeen says, it is God that shuts up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the ground will not yield her fruit. Why would God do such a thing? Well, if you want a broad explanation, it's, a, it's one we extract very often from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, which tells us that God works all things to conform to the purpose of his will. So everything he's doing is also not only to glorify himself, but it's also he's carrying out his purposes in the world. But the more specific explanation would be that he will allow the resources of his children to dry up so that they will learn to lean on him. It's a wonderful passage about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Uh, but in Hosea chapter 13, verse 5, God says to his people, I cared for you, comma, where? In the wilderness in the land of drought. Very often, it's only when we get there that we discover how God's capability and his interest in taking care of us. I remember Erin, who, who's our daughter, she, she told us about the time when 
she was offered a job, which is actually down here in Florida, which is where she wanted to be more than anything in the world. And she woke up there and she got offered the job. Uh, she actually went to the interview, got offered the job, and then the next morning woke up and said, I don't believe God wants me to go there. But if I say no to that job, I have to go back up and I have no job and I'm penniless. She has since told us that it was that time when she obeyed God and she went to where she would be penniless that she says this money came out of the walls. I've never discovered the provision of God like, I, like before or since. as that special time when God took me into a wilderness. Well, it says the land could not support them. God creates difficulties perhaps in our finances, material resources. He, he, he could create difficulties in our finances, even allow difficulties in our families, emotional resources. And that causes us to, to make, have to make a decision on where are we going to pitch our tent. Look at verse 7. And quarreling arose between Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's. Don't forget that Abraham was Lot's uncle. Okay, so this is a significant relationship that is falling apart. Now, perhaps a relationship that was very significant to you fell apart, and you were saying, where were you, Lord? And here's what he's saying all along. I cared for you in the wilderness and in the land of drought. Perhaps, perhaps God dries up your resources because he wants you to pick up your tent and pitch it elsewhere for your next assignment. Look at verse 7 again. It says, And quarreling arose between Abraham's herdsmen and the herdsmen uh, uh, of Lot. The Canaanites and the Parasites were also living in the land. You know, anytime you read something that seems like a bizarre piece of information that you really wonder why God would positively put, come, encumber the text with, uh, it's always there for a reason. And the Canaanites and the Parasites were also living in the land. Every single believer is surrounded by Canaanites and Parasites. We're surrounded by unbelievers. And where we choose to pitch our tent on moral issues, especially when our life seems to be falling apart, when the resources in our life have dried up, where we pitch our tent is a demonstration of who God is to the whole world. It's... It's, 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 it shows to the world the difference that God makes in your life. The whole world out there, we're told in this text, is watching. So difficulties demand that we, that we pitch our tent somewhere, but it's our relationship with God that determines where we pitch our tent. Now, as we face the circumstances of our life, the Bible really only gives us two choices. And Abraham and Lot, they represent these two choices. Abraham represents the spiritual man who's the God-centered man and his choices, and Lot represents the carnal man, the, the self-centered man and his choices. And don't forget, one of them ended up blessing the world, the other was a curse. That's how important this is. Let's deal first with the spiritual man. Notice that the spiritual man recognizes and acknowledges we have a problem. There's a problem here, and it affects the position that he takes. Verse 8, so Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we're brothers. 
So what do we see here? We see Abraham, who's the God-centered man, wanting to protect his family by ending the argument. What we see with Lot is the self-centered man who is not concerned with ending the argument. He's concerned with winning the argument, if necessary, at the expense of his family. But here Abraham says, let's not have any quarreling. He labels it. He says, we've got a problem. There's fighting going on between you and your herdsmen and ours. Now, the Alcoholics Anonymous has a 12-step recovery program. You know, the first step is, is to recognize that there is a problem and that you're powerless to deal with it. And so in verse 9, we read Abraham saying, Is not the land before you? Let's part company. We're not able to fix this. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now, you have to remember, these are patriarchal days. Abraham is the great patriarchal leader, and he gives Lot the choice. He surrenders his rights for the sake of the relationship. See, the carnal man, he's always going to say, uh, we got to do things my way. It's got to happen my way. It's got to defend his opinions. How about you? You find yourself, the most important thing in the whole world is defending your rights and defending your opinions. We've all done that. Uh, that's the carnal way. The spiritual man puts the relationship above his own rights. Okay, let's look at the carnal man here. Uh, this is Lot, of course. The first thing we see is, is the man's spiritually blind. He's spiritually sightless. Look at verse 10. Lot looked up and he saw the whole plain of Jordan. And then this is all he needs to do. That's, that's the, he's he's going to make a decision. And where is he gathering his information from? It, it's all from the physical realm. It's all from the way he sees things. The carnal man never sees God in anything, never sees God's will in anything, never sees possible temptations that might lie ahead. They, they don't see any of that. It's just, how does it look to me? And then I'm going to make my decision. A, a spiritually dead person actually goes through life like an armadillo crossing the road in heavy traffic. It's just completely... Seem to be, they seem to be oblivious to what a bad decision they've made. Um, and not only is he sightless spiritually, but notice how sensual he is. Again, verse 10, it says, he looked up and saw. Okay, then he makes his decision. Now, in life, you don't need me to tell you that you're either going to live by what you see, that is, your feelings, you're going to make your decisions based upon how it looks to you, your physical senses, your wisdom. You're either going to make, you're either going to live by what you see or you're going to live by what you believe. You're going to live by principles. So few people in the world today are, operate on the basis of principles, principles that have been instilled in them over years through God's word. 
So he's spiritually sightless. He's personally sensual. And notice how selfish he is. Verse 10, Lot looked up and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zor. This was before law, the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now look at these words. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. Whenever you decide you're going to live your life or you do it subliminally, uh, you, you're not going to live by principles. You're just going to go the way you feel. You, you go, you, your feelings instead of principles operate your life. You're always going to be doing what he did here, and that is choosing for yourself. It's interesting that Jesus said how he made his decisions in John 5.30. He said, for I, I, my decisions are just, they're good, because I seek not my own will, not to please myself, but the will of him that sent me. But if you're going to go by your feelings, you're not going to know God's will and you're going to all end up choosing for yourself. So he's not only sightless, he's sensual, he's selfish, but he's stupid. And may I say unbelievers are completely stupid. Um, look what it says. Lot looked up, verse 10, and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord. What's the garden of the Lord? That's the garden of Eden, otherwise known as paradise. So we're left here immediately responding to the text by asking the question, how could the desert plain, the arid desert plain of Jordan, to him represent paradise? How did it look like that to him? Well, it makes no sense whatsoever until you find out what he was looking at, which we find out later in the text. Right in the middle of that plain were two cities. One was called Sodom and the other was called Gomorrah. That's what he's looking at that sounds like paradise to me. This is his Las Vegas right there. Now, you see, the unspiritual mind always sees sin as paradise. And when we're being unspiritual, a temptation to sin appears like a little bit of paradise. And what a, what a stupid, stupid decision that is. And all you've got to do is go, go down to the rehab center and, and see if you could best describe that as paradise. All you've got to do is go visit a family that's dealing with the aftermath of adultery or, or a family that's impoverished by the, the father's gambling and then see if you could, you could possibly come up with a better adjective to describe that situation than paradise. Now, let's look at the consequences of where you pitch your tent. Verse 12, Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain, and he pitched his tent near Sodom. You know, the great lesson of this text is, is when you pitch your tent near Sodom, as I found out when I was 16, you always wind up in Sodom. And we know that because the very next time that the Bible mentions Lot, it's in Genesis 14, 12, and it says they also carried off Abraham's nephew Lot since he was living in Sodom. 
You know, if you're a young person, and there's only one of us in this room, <laughs> he's in the back, and, uh, and, and you're, you're wanting to keep your romantic life pure because you're a believer. You don't want to be making the decision to stay pure while you're making out with somebody in the back seat of a sensual drive-in movie after you've had a few beers. Because if you pinch your tent near Sodom, you're going to wind up in Sodom. It's just the way God says it works. Uh, and then the second lesson that comes from the text is when you end up in Sodom, you always end up of Sodom. You see, the very next time after that that we read about Lot is in, is in uh, Genesis 19, verse 1. And it says, the two angels arrived in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city, which immediately doesn't mean anything to us, but it was put that way because it meant everything to the Israelite. And, and historians know that the why mention the gateway of the city? Because the gateway of the city is where the chief judge of the city presided. He's referring to that. He had now become of Sodom. He was, in fact, the chief justice of the city. Moreover, in Genesis chapter 19, verse 9, the town folk get really angry at Lot, saying, you're playing the judge. So here's the principle. If you pitch your tent near temptation, you're going to dabble in temptation. And when you dabble in temptation, just like Lot, you're going to make a career out of it. So what was the basic difference between Abraham and Lot? This, this, this difference that so affected the decisions they made on where they were going to pitch their tent. Genesis 13.3 says, From the Negev... He, that's Abraham, went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier. He keeps returning to this place where he first built an altar. So, you know, when you read the account of Abraham, wherever he goes, he builds an altar or he returns back to this altar. He builds a place of worship. If you read the story of Lot, he never does it one time. So, first of all, Abraham, he worships God continually everywhere he goes, and then he walks very circumspectly before God. He's very careful about his life. How do we know that? Because of these things that God has chosen to reveal. It says, he always pitched his tent between Bethel and Ai. Well, what is the significance of that? Well, the name Bethel means the house of God, and the name Ai means the place of ruin. And, you know, that's actually where every single believer it has to pitch their tent. Uh, there's some believers who, who only want to pitch their tent in Bethel, the house of God. And so they grow up and they go to church and they, they go to a Christian school and then they marry a Christian girl and then they send their kids to Christian, Christian schools and marry a Christian girl and they never have anything to do with lost people. They don't want to know about people that they disagree with. They, they don't want to deal with perverts, don't want to deal with struggling, malfunctional, dysfunctional people. 
want to get it, their hands in, involved in all of that. And so that's the way they live. And then there's the other believers who, who seem like they, all they want to do is pitch their tent in AI. And if you were a private investigator, you couldn't tell the difference between them and any lost person at all. Secret is if you've got to be in the world, but not of the world. So how do you walk that line between Bethel, God's people, and AI as a place of ruin? How do, you, how do you walk that line? Well, just as we pointed out, Abraham did. He pitched his tent where he first built an altar, and there he called on the name of the Lord. He was constantly making sure he was a worshiper of God. He was constantly seeking God's direction on everything. So, folks, everywhere we go, let's make this decision that we're, we're going to be worshipers of God. Whether things get difficulty, difficult for us or, or, or whether things go well, if God dries up our circumstances, we should still worship God. And then in every decision, we should call upon God. When there's a problem, acknowledge that there's a problem. Seek to end the argument, not to win the argument. Put protecting the relationship and God's will above your rights and your will. In fact, put other people's rights above yourself. Don't make decisions based upon how it looks to you. Make your decisions based upon how does this look to God. And then when you make your decision and you pitch your tent, wherever you pitch it, just make sure it's 100 miles away from Sodom. In fact, do like Abraham. Go in the opposite direction. And why do we do this? Because this is going to determine whether your life will be a blessing or whether it'll be a curse. It really makes a difference where you pitch your tent. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to worship you in this last song, may these uh, truths um, sink deep into our heart. And if all we remember is, am I living too near temptation in this decision? Uh, then that's a good thing. And it really does make a difference. May we... Be wise and, and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Dr. Baz. Tune in next week as we continue studying the Word of God. May God bless you.